Welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show, where we explore spiritual ideas and books that help you live a better life. Hosted by spiritual teacher and author of If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate, Jason Napolitano. Okay, here we are. Welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show uh, this weekend. Uh, we have a new show available every Sunday. Actually, when you it's going to be the week after Mother's Day, but happy Mother's Day, a belated Mother's Day to everyone. Uh, we're doing this show on the 12th. Uh, Chris actually is with me, Chris Sheridan. I'm your host, Jason Napolitano. And we investigate spiritual books and ideas each week here. Again, thank you for joining us. Uh, I wanted to actually have Chris talk a little bit about today. He went actually out to the Philosophical Research Society, which is the organization that Mr. Manley P. Hall uh, founded. Uh, we are talking about the Wisdom of the Knowing Ones, the Gnostic book that Manley Hall wrote. Uh, it's actually a comp- compilation of his, uh, his, his essays. Uh, it's called Gnosticism, the Key to Esoteric Christianity. That's uh, the subtitle of it. Wisdom of the Knowing Ones is the actual title. Uh, but Chris actually went down to the PRS today and uh, participated in a service for Dr. Obadiah Harris, who was running the PRS when both Chris and I worked there. So, Chris, why don't you go ahead and talk about that a little bit and the importance of the PRS and, and Mr. Harris and so forth, please. Oh, well, sure. Uh, it was a very nice service. Obadiah Harris uh, passed away in March, and this was a get-together with people that knew him, worked with him, family, uh, and it was at the Philosophical Research Society uh, in the auditorium where Manhall spoke for probably 30 years after it was built, uh, and Obadiah took over the PRS after Manley Hall died. There was some odd circumstances surrounding Mr. Hall's death in 1990. Uh, Even though he was 89 at the time, he was definitely up in years. Uh, And then there was about a two or three year period after that that was really dark. There were lawsuits. There were certain factions trying to take over. And this happens a lot when there is an organization uh, based upon a founder. Mm-hmm. And when the founder passes, you know, if it's Rudolf Steiner or, um, you know, Charles Fillmore or anybody, sure. it, then, then, you know, there's a jockeying for position by different people that maybe are associated. Anyway, short story, endless, uh, through great effort and much success, Obadiah Harris was able to take over in 1993 and not only write the ship again to where it would steer correctly on its course, uh, clean up some of the damage, and later on founded the university that is still there. It's a legitimate distance learning university where the um, master's degrees are in consciousness studies and spiritual transformation and psychology. So uh, he has left a very important legacy uh, to the PRS, uh, preserving Manly Hall, as well as extending the educational reach of the society to other people and uh, grant degrees. So this was a celebration of his life and his time there. And that actually has a bearing on this book, The Wisdom of the Knowing Ones, uh, that the compilation, this is an anthology of several uh, lectures, articles uh, by Manley Hall on the subject of Gnosticism, put together, as we mentioned last week, uh, by Dr. Stephen Heller, and uh, he wrote this extended introduction and even thanked Dr. Harris in this because uh, in 2000, when this book uh, was put together, uh, it was under 
the direction of Obadiah Harris because he was the president at the time. And the choice and this long introduction by Stephen Heller uh, and to review, he had been speaking at the PR, PRS since the early 70s. So he knew both Manley Hall very well mm-hmm. and Obadiah very well. And um, and together they put this book together that we've been discussing these last couple of weeks. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, Dr. Harris and his wife, Jeannie, uh, will both be missed. Uh, they uh, they were a, a, good, a great presence at, uh, at the PRS when we were there. And uh, like you said, he he brought uh, he brought some order and stability to PRS when uh, it sorely needed it. So he was a great boon to that place. Um, all right. So starting uh, today, uh, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to open since this is a, a, a show about Gnosticism and we're speaking on the wisdom of the knowing ones. Um, we are going to actually open with a with a, a, a Gnostic prayer. This comes from. The Gnostic Catechism, which is a book that is put out on the beliefs of the Gnostic Church. It's the modern version of the Gnostic Church that was founded by uh, uh, Dr. Stephen Heller. And he's the bishop of the uh, Ecclesia Gnostica in Los Angeles, and this is more or less the sort of doctrinal work. Uh, it's called the Gnostic Cate- Catechism, and it's published by the Gnostic Press. And there's a, there's a nice prayer in here that I wanted to start with, so I'm going to go ahead and read through that really quick. Uh, just to kind of set uh, to set the mood. So it's called a prayer to the supernal parents, and I'm actually going to use a bell to to kind of open this. All powerful Lord, our Father, all wise Lady, our Mother, supernal parents of all that was and is and is to come, sustain us, your children, this day. Give us the wisdom to see your path and the strength to prevail in the darkest hour. We thank you for the joys we have and for your grace bestowed on us this day and every day. May we thrive and grow in knowledge, wisdom, and understanding now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. So a very nice uh, sentiment, and it sets us in the right direction uh, with some, some knowledge, wisdom, and understanding guiding our way, hopefully. All right, so... Let us talk about the first portion of this book. Manley Hall starts with kind of a general characterization or a description of what's actually going on in the first century. So this is around uh, 100 AD. Uh, This is the time after Jesus' death, about 70 years, roughly speaking, after his death in the centuries, the early centuries um, uh, after his death. The early Christian church is forming. There are many different types of Christianity at the time, different sects, different beliefs, and different ideas. Um, Manley Hall points out that at the time, one of the primary sort of philosophical arguments going on uh, was were, were researches into cause and effect, cause and effect. So these are from some, some you know, arguments and some philo- philosophical ideas from some 500 years before Uh, from Aristotle and Plato. So basically Plato set up a system based on universal principles and archetypes, felt that there were spiritual principles behind all the material existence. And he introduced this, this idea uh, of an organized universe with a spiritual background, essentially, or sort of um, invisible archetypal background. Archetype is a sort of a general pattern for things um, into the Mediterranean world. 
Now, Aristotle uh, came along, and uh, while he didn't necessarily disagree with that idea, he emphasized really the significance of, of tangible things, of the material world, of the knowable things. Manley Hall points out that he found security in the contemplation of the knowable, of the knowable. So that being uh, more like a, more of a quote-unquote scientific point of view, of course, essentially his ideas then lay the foundation for what becomes modern science. His ideas also laid the foundation for, for uh, theological arguments that were made by many of the, uh, the church uh, leaders later on. Many of the, the philosophers in the Catholic Church even used his, his work. Um, so what happens is Gnosticism kind of grows out of this, this tension between the, the sort of spiritual and material, in essence. Um, you know, this is 100 A.D., to let's say around three three twenty five or so, which is more or less uh, the beginning of the uh, the Catholic Church, the dominance of the it's in the Catholic Church, the early Orthodox Church. Uh, the the Council of Nicaea met and formed the Nicaean Creed, which is basically the the doctrinal foundational understanding of what it means to be an Orthodox Christian at that time. But between that time, between one hundred A.D. and and about three twenty five, when Christianity actually became the the religion of the empire, the religion of the Roman Empire. Gnosticism was born into this. Now you have to understand at this time, uh, Rome is the most powerful uh, powerful country. It's not a country, but it extended its its imperial empire. It's called an empire um, quite far, quite over over most of the Mediterranean, pushing into the east. Uh, they were speaking. Um, most people were speaking a sort of a Koine Greek, which is kind of a street street Greek. Um, a lot of the, uh, the the philosophical works were were in classical Greek or in Latin. Uh, many other languages were spoke, obviously, but those were kind of the main languages. And the main culture was, of course, the Roman imperial uh, culture, which extended out as the most powerful. They were really similar to maybe uh, the U.S. or the British Empire at the height of its power. Uh, analogous to that in, in some ways. So this is the kind of cultural milieu that Gnosticism found it, itself in. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier uh, before we started the show, Chris and I were talking about this, but Gnosticism found itself in a very strange and dangerous place. It was positioned between uh, early Christianity, which was growing more and more militant, and paganism, which was, gro- you know, which was also under attack but found that the Gnostics were, uh, were also kind of, uh, I, I don't want to say, they, they angered them as well. So they, both the Christians and the pagans found the Gnostics reprehensible. Uh, the, the Gnostics themselves saw themselves as, as reconcilers between those two worlds. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? I, I don't want to monopolize because I, I, we, we had some good, good discussions on that earlier before we got on. Well, sure. The uh, the quote from from the book, Gnosticism was despised by the church because it sought to interpret Christian mysticism in terms of the metaphysical systems of the Greeks, Egyptians and Chaldeans. At the same time, it was openly opposed by pagan philosophers, particularly certain Neoplatonists. I'm not sure which ones he's talking to, uh, because it appeared to accept uh, the unphilosophic and illogical tenets forced upon an unsuspecting world by the Christian enthusiasts. So this squeeze um, was bad for Gnosticism, in a sense, uh, it had to go underground. And ironically, uh, that what had survived, uh, as far as a text or any 
information about uh, the early Gnostic cults and their rituals and beliefs and symbols uh, was basically preserved in tracts that were that sought out to uh, to go against Gnosticism. It was the argument against, well, you don't yeah. have Gnosticism because they do A, B, C, and D. Well, that actually helped some of the Gnostic uh, beliefs survive because they were recorded. Yes, it was an argument against, but there was still a record of it. Uh, but it wasn't complete until uh, some of the later findings in, uh, in the 20th century at Nag Hammadi. And, uh, and Qumran uh, as well, yeah, exactly. Kumran, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. I think Manley Hall pointed out also that no uh, bishop worth his salt at that time could, could really hold his head high unless he had, had, had written some polemic, um, some really uh, extensive diatribe against, uh, against the Gnostics. It was uh, quite a badge of honor, apparently, at that time. to, to Well, that uh, was the Roman influence. Yeah. I mean, yes, Roman you know, absorbed this, this new, you know, centuries new, uh, you know, a form of religion. Uh, but they did it with a Roman mindset, militant, empirical. Yeah. So that kind of gave it. Well, what was different? Know, so much though, of that influence. What was different, though, about it? But they did. They took that imperial mindset and they focused it directly on one religion by the by 325. Whereas the Roman Empire prior to that was actually quite tolerant of different religious sects as long as everyone paid their taxes, you know, they rendered unto yeah. Caesar what was, what right. was Caesar's. Um, so they didn't have any problem with that. What the, the problem was is that uh, early Christianity began to set itself uh, up against, against that, uh, against that empire and actually was gaining so many converts, obviously that the Roman empire suddenly saw, I imagine a threat and said, if you can't beat them, join them is what I'm thinking. Um, and by that time, paganism quote unquote you know the different sects of uh the various roman and greek gods the mystery schools and so on manly hall does talk about how there was somewhat of a decline uh maybe they had grown kind of complacent or maybe they had grown somewhat corrupt some of those systems and so the time was ripe for something new to come along um i know one of the things that bothered christianity early christianity and still bothers Christianity today in terms of its orthodox beliefs. It's more, you know, hard, hard edged, hard line Baptists and orthodox individuals um, is the idea that um, the the uh, Gnostics had about about what you just what you spoke about, about a lot of these these pagan uh, pagan beliefs. They were really trying to reconcile these ideas. And one of the things that really galled them was when they st when when the Gnostics started pointing out how how the story of Jesus was similar to the story of Adonis or the story of Dionysus or some of these other living and dying gods that that had, it already existed that had mystery cults you know prior sometimes five hundred or a thousand years before Christianity uh, even existed and so even in some cases even further back so. That was, I think, one thing that 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 you know the Christian, the early Christian Church had to had to kind of set itself apart from from paganism, apart from the Gnostic ideas, and say, look, this is the true revelation. We have the answers, and you know this is the unique sort of individual that has come along to to save everyone. And I'm not you know, I'm not arguing with that one way or the other. I'm saying though that 
the Gnostics had a pretty good argument in saying, look, here were, here's this story that seems very similar to this. And maybe there's a lineage of these, of these, these teachers that come along uh, at different times and in different places for different cultures and for different reasons, speaking to those people in their own language and, you know, sharing the similar messages with them. And for that, they were persecuted and, and, and eventually killed. And, and as you said, uh, driven underground. Um, so, you know, that's a, that was a, that was the, the challenge of that early Gnostic. What's interesting though, and we, we, you know, we talk, uh, we haven't talked about this, but the, the subtitle of this book is Gnosticism, the key to esoteric Christianity. And he doesn't explicitly lay out in the book why it's the, the key to esoteric Christianity. That was one of the things we were discussing a little bit before the show. And we're going to get into that a bit, uh, a bit later, but, um, Really what happens essentially is that Gnosticism does go underground, as we said, but it never dies. It pops up. And as we've talked about, we talked about it in the last episode. Actually, if you want to listen to the last podcast, it's, uh, it's an introduction to Gnosticism. Uh, that's a great, uh, a great place to start. I'll give you a little bit more of a background. Um, now, we're, you know, we're getting into a little bit more of the historical setting and some of the ideas and so on. Um, but... That uh, we'll, we'll talk about it in a few minutes. So I want to I want to start this by saying um, not start this, but I want to get into this idea. Gnosticism. I'm going to read a Manny Hall quote. Gnosticism is defined as emanationism, or a philosophy of emanations. If two qualities cannot meet in substance, they can be brought together only by extension. Universals cannot become particulars, and particulars cannot become universals. But universals exist according to degrees. And particulars exist according to conditions. So that's kind of a mouthful. There's a lot of stuff there. Uh, let's unpack that a little bit, because that really is one of the things that, you know, Manley Hall's defining in the beginning, the difference between Plato's philosophy and Aristotle's philosophy, the difference between maybe a more orthodox type of Christianity and maybe then uh, science, which comes around later, these sort of tensions between materialism and the spiritual world and so on. The Gnostics were trying to really create a bridge, and that's what that emanationism is, the idea that there are these, these archetypals, these archetypal uh, energies behind the scenes, a spiritual, there's a spiritual world, but then by emanations, by gradual sort of uh, taking on of denser and denser materials, the material world has come into an existence. And Actually, I want you to talk a little bit about that because that ties into the hermetic stuff that we were talking about, the astrotheology and the, the seven planets. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that? And we don't need to get, go too deep into it, but that's you know, how, the, how that comes into existence and how that works in the Gnostic scheme. Well, yeah, and it is a very deep rabbit hole, so I'll try to yeah, be brief. Just real quick. Um, well, we have discussed in previous podcasts about astrotheology and uh, seven spheres of the planetary orbits according to the geocentric model which astrology and ancients used it still works uh for symbolism it's not a matter of what's actually astronomically correct uh the, sim the symbolism is still there and that to go from undifferentiated spirit to come into earthly existence in a human body we have to pass through seven gates these seven spheres each of the planets outwardly going from Saturn to Jupiter to Mars to the sun um, to Venus 
to Mercury, the moon, and then the earth. Uh, and by the time you get here, you're laden with uh, this materialism. And then after death, uh, the body stays here and the spirit goes again through these seven gates. This comes up in Hermeticism. Um, the uh, you know, St. John, uh, the Revelation, the uh, seven heavens, um, Jacob's ladder, Ishtar, even in Islam, the seven gates. Uh, and usually at these gates, there are guardians, so you have to pass through them to get there. And in the case of the Gnostic cosmogony, their creation of the cosmos uh, tale, uh, that there was a figure um, who was born out of the mother of wisdom, uh, Sophia, and it's Yaldabaoth, and he's the son of chaos, and he relates to Saturn, and with his seven sons, they constituted what are known as archons, and these I archons... I think it was, it was six, wasn't it? Six sons six, and six, then him? Totally, yeah, yeah totally. It was a total seven, of yes. seven, yeah. Correct, yes. Um, and corresponding to the planets I just mentioned in yeah. that order, and uh, that that is how the you know, earth, and they created man, uh, but they, didn't, they did it on their own without the mother, which was wisdom. Uh, so, and that's, you know, kind of what we have now, this demiurgic, chaotic, in a way, uh, material world that's uh, maybe ruled with a lot of physicality, but it's not tempered uh, with the grace and uh, the knowledge of wisdom, uh, yes, which we, we exactly. need, uh, which we need both. Interesting. Um, yeah. I think we talked a little bit too about this where another, another concept they have is where we're part of us though, is, is connected to that divine Sophia. Uh, and there's a divine spark within us that was necessary uh, in order to animate that material, that material body. Uh, the, the Demiurge had to actually, he was, I think he was tricked into putting, putting this, um, this divine energy into, into the human life so that it could well, his have... mother intervened, right? So yeah, that's was, what it was. Exactly. Um, intervened and kind of skipped over him in a sense and yeah. made sure that this creation had at least something in it. Yeah. And the, uh, well, the interesting thing too, is as I remember this, I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a sort of a, there was two Sophia's there's Sophia Ak Akamot and Sophia divine wisdom, who was like beyond Beyond yes, the, the, the and they in Manly Hall talked about her, uh, Yaldabaoth's mother Sophia as being um, in this sort of middle plane between and, and again there's where that emanation comes into play between the spiritual and the material world is this sort of bridge, and I think that's where you know Gnosticism really comes into its own in trying to reconcile the idea of true you know true sort of spiritual energy versus this material world that we live in. Like, how do you reconcile those two things? They seem irreconcilable. And yet it's mind and body. It's yeah. spirit and matter. It's the great question of science. Exactly. And so they, you know, they were and, and I think really what it is, what we're getting at, and Manning Hall talked about it. I don't remember exactly where it was, but he talked about them being the first um, philosophers who really delved into the mind. And I think Jung made the point too, that the Gnostics were somewhat, um, the first psychologists in essence, because they were really delving into these ideas that all of this material is, is symbolic. Um, we don't know as you know, how literally 
the Gnostics took these things or if they took, you know, if they, if they were, you know, reading them metaphorically or symbolically, we don't, you know, we don't really know historically speaking, but looking back, it, it, it does, it does seem uh, that, that there was a sense of, of, of metaphor of symbol and stuff and so forth in their work. And, and by that token, then, you know, the, to calling them the first sort of Western psychologists is, is, is probably pretty appropriate. I mean, and Jung certainly felt that way, um, which I, I, I find, I find interesting. And, you know, we, the, f- the fact that they were sort of destroyed by the church in essence really did not, destroy the the movement it, it it went underground as we spoke of and it still lives on today and in some ways um you know there's more interest in in these alternative ideas than there are than there is in some of the mainstream uh christian ideas or at least they've maybe been some of these ideas maybe jibe with modern science and the ideas of modern psychology at least when they're taken symbolically uh, a little bit better than some of the the, you know, the doctrines and dogmas of, of the actual, you know, the traditional Orthodox church. So, so it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's kind of come, kind of come full circle. Um, But what's interesting is, and I think, uh, and we'll get at this a little bit, but I think that's what maybe Manly Hall was getting at, that Gnosticism is the key to esoteric Christianity. And the fact that these ideas never really died. This, these, some of these pagan ideas and the, the philosophical ideas and the emanationism lived on in Kabbalah, in Rosicrucianism, in Freemasonry. Um, that's some of the more modern movements. Uh, but then, you know, even in underground movements um, in the, you know, in the Roman Empire prior to uh, prior to the modern period. So. You know there is this uh, there is this sense that that the, that that, uh, that Gnosticism is still is still quite alive and well. You want to uh, talk a little bit about that and some of your understandings of that? Well, yes, I think it's just an interesting phenomenon how you know its origin you know was before the you know, officially uh, making Christianity the uh, the religion of the land, uh, but it still maintained that connection to the Christos, you know, to the enlightened one, to the savior, uh, just a very personal version of it. Uh, one that you experience, one that requires each and every one of us to take that divine spark that was left in us uh, by Sophia and use it to transform ourselves and then transcend our experience here on earth, which is way different then, okay, this is the hierarchy of the church. And if you do this and you follow this rule, then you get this favor. And as long as you do this, this and that, uh, you may have a shot, probably not, but you might have a shot at getting somewhere in the afterlife. Uh, Very, very different way of looking at things. Uh, One is sort of giving this authority, this autocratic, and that's maybe where some of the Roman empirical uh, attitude uh, remains. Yeah, yeah, uh, maybe not, you know, uh, that it became, you know, this is the authority, you know, and there's a hierarchy. That's this interesting. Generals and senators, you know. That's a great point, but, yeah. But with the Gnostic, even though some of the, you know, Christos and, you know, symbolism might be similar, um, as well as some of the symbolism uh, in their cosmogony is, is similar to uh, some other pagan ones, the bottom line is that it's up to us. Yeah, you know, we have help and we have a plan and we have uh, 
um, you know, Braxus as a sun god, that you know Jesus was also a, a solar deity, uh, that we have to do this work ourselves. And I just, just like you're saying about uh, it becoming like a, a, a early form of psychologic, uh, psychological health. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the book, Hall says, you know, religion became a matter of internal adjustment, mm. which is different than external authority. Absolutely. And it's a threat to the to the structure of the church. If, if one if, if one says, hey, you can do this yourself, then what need have I of priests or hierarchy and ecclesiastical authority to tell me how to get to heaven if I can do it directly with myself? That's that's a great point you make. It's a great point you make. And that's I think that. The, largely the main difference between mainstream Christianity and Gnosticism is, is, that, uh, is that emphasis on the, the inner journey, which makes it very similar to, to Buddhism or to a form of depth psychology or to some of these modern movements, which in a lot of ways, it, you know, they're, 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 they're related. They're related. Um, and it's perfect for our modern times now because we are rejecting central authorities uh, even like in media, you can put up a channel on YouTube. You don't need the big networks. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a way to get things out. Like a do-it-yourself is yeah. very important. And, that's a great And point. then you know what works for yourself. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, and the thing that's, that's interesting is that now it's more about, uh, it's about finding your, it is about finding your own way. The thing that, that's missing in some ways is a structure or ritual a mythological understanding of the world. And I think that's where, where people are somewhat left adrift. So, you know, if they can look back to some of these, some of these mythologies and read some of these gospels and so on with a different mindset, you know, the symbolic metaphorical mythological mindset, uh, you can find great, uh, great spiritual wisdom, great truths. Uh, uh, I can't remember who said it, but there was, uh, someone who said, uh, uh, literalism is a is a form of idolatry. I thought that was a great quote. Um, you know, because yeah. I think that's and again, you know, the, the the church, oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes, has emphasized a literal interpretation of of scripture, and I think that's where it got in trouble. And then that's where that that you know kind of rift between science, quote unquote, and religion began to began to, to form uh, because, you know, if you, if you take a literal interpretation of most scriptures, it doesn't, it doesn't line up with our, our material scientific views of the world. It doesn't line up with archaeological evidence. It doesn't line up with certain, certain ideas and certain findings. However, if you remove that literal interpretation and you, you, you take a spiritual or a mythological or mystical approach to those scriptures, which they, I believe they were originally intended to have, you, you don't have that problem. It's no longer an argument to so say, yeah, science, of course, it's correct. Of course, you found this information. Of course, this and that, you know, the earth is not just 6,000 years old and all of these different findings. Because the, the, you know, the Bible wasn't speaking, speaking uh, literally to begin with. So you're, you're not, you, haven't, you haven't refuted anything, if you look at it that way. You know, but this insistence right. on literal interpretation is, is where it gets into trouble. And we have no real good evidence that, 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 that any of the, you know, the original uh, founders of religion, the original you know, revealers of these ideas, the, the prophets and so on, we have no 
evidence that they were, were even insisting on any kind of literal interpretation. Certainly, uh, Jewish rabbis and scholars don't take a literal approach most of the time. Most of the rabbinic literature um, in terms of uh, the exegesis that they do uh, has, a, has a more mystical character to it. Uh, and there's wide variations of interpretation between different rabbis. And there was never one interpretation of scripture. So, you know, it really, that, you know, is, a, is something that's happened in a fairly modern, you know, time frame that, that literal sort of, sort of viewpoint. So I, I think, again, and we don't want to go too much off track, but I think to, you know, to characterize the, the, the sort of Gnostic Christian viewpoint is more internal and in the, you know, sort of exoteric church. It's in, in essence, it's the difference between the esoteric versus the, the, uh, the uh, the esoteric versus the exoteric the exoteric being the accepted ecclesiastical authority of the church the esoteric being the inner sort of journey and some of these underground groups like the gnostics that that grew up so um i wanted to read one thing that manly hall says uh when you know he's talking about uh again he calls he calls this gnosticism the key to the esoteric christianity in, in this particular chapter that we're we're looking at says, Gnosticism is a powerful link between the elaborate philosophical system of Asia and the mysticism of Syria and Egypt. As such, it offers a vast amount of material to students of comparative religion and esoteric philosophy. It also supplies many missing elements of the Christian story and implies the existence of a well-formulated esoteric tradition under the surface of early Christian theology. So elaborate on that a little bit because we talked a little bit about that earlier, that elaborate esoteric understanding underneath it. Yeah, so that's even just saying underneath the surface yeah. of the early Christian theology. And in some ways, it's, it still is a surface covering because for someone like Dr. Stephen Heller, if you go to Ecclesia Gnostica sure. uh, or his church, and if it is a particular service it will align with a catholic holiday and he has a mitre hat of a bishop sure that he is and on the surface you might think wow okay it's some hungarian catholic guy that's giving a service yeah. and uh and so that's what's just kind of the, the two sides of, of gnosticism it it still it has this surface imagery mm -hmm. um, but underneath it also in some ways it, it protected it uh, oh, that's a good way really to put didn't it. Yeah. Deny it. I, I might just maybe a digression, but I'm thinking of uh, bagpipe music when it became illegal, not because it was bad, but when uh, England, early England, took over Scotland, uh, conquered them, uh, they felt that the bagpipe was a, a, a instrument of war, that it got the troops all riled up and yeah. ready for battle and they're you know, got them going. Sure. Uh, so they, they outlawed it because they thought that was part of the like a bugle call, you know. Uh, but what the Scots did is they took violins and they would play the Scottish music, the same songs on violin. That's how fiddling was born. Mm -hmm. uh, but what it did is during this underground period, you think, oh, there's some guy with the fiddle that doesn't know how to play. Um, but uh, but what they were doing is for years they they preserved and passed down uh, the music and the knowledge of the music that once bagpipes became non-contraband, um, the music had survived. So this 
period now we're in, uh, having an approach, uh, and we have a free religious society that we can choose what we want to. We're, we're not under the conditions um, that early Gnosticism and the followers mm-hmm. uh, were subjected to. You know, we have this uh, time now where we can we can speak freely. Do this. Yeah, exactly. Yes, and um, and it's not heretical maybe to speak out against the church or something or to have your own opinion. We're not going to get sure the Spanish Inquisition or anything now. Uh, and it's through this you know, preservation and continuation uh, of Gnosticism. And now it's, it really has a, um, its own life, a rebirth, uh, a new a renaissance perhaps of it. Uh, and it is at this time where that's okay. And we can be more open to some of these things yeah. and explore them. And um, through the symbolism of the Abraxas, which we might want to get to before uh, closing off, the um, the deity, the solar god of uh, the Gnostic tradition is a rooster head with a human body and serpents for legs. But those, these are five particular parts, the head, two arms and two legs that are very symbolic. And it has everything to do with what you were talking about, this internal work, which is the key to esoteric traditions. And the head signifies vigilance, foresight, vigilance. Uh, the two arms are one is power, the other one is wisdom, and it's balancing these two. And the legs are noose and logos, that is wisdom and understanding. Uh, and those and are two the, snakes as legs, right? Yeah, they're yeah. serpents and, and legs, that's the foundation. So look the at foundation. it symbolically where they are. So your foundation, your, the serpent legs, wisdom and understanding each side. You're going back up again, your two arms, that which you use to maneuver in the world and do things. One is power and the other one um, is also divine wisdom mm-hmm. that you are, you, you have strength, but you also have grace. Yeah. And then the head being vigilance and foresight that you are uh, seeing uh, through things better. It's a consciousness. That's uh, part of the. That's system. a great way to put that. You know, I'm reminded of, of the, uh, the, the uh, Kabbalistic tree of life. There's a, there's, there's two pillars on the right and left-hand side that have, have sort of similar, uh, similar meanings to that. If you want to look that up on Google, look at the, uh, the tree of life, the, the three pillars. So there's, uh, there's some analog- analogies that, you know, are kind of, uh, kind of work together there. It's interesting. And those, those, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of the, the Kabbalistic work and the Gnostic work, uh, is very similar. That's a great, uh, a great point. And that Abraxas figure, I'm going to probably, uh, use that for the, uh, the, sim- or the, the, the picture for the, uh, for the podcast, or at least we'll have it up on, uh, on the YouTube one when we put that up. So, so we'll be able to look at that, but if you want to just look it up on Google, just put Abraxas in, uh, and do a Google search. Um, that is actually going to about do it for us. Thank you for bringing Abraxas up. I had, I had forgotten sure. about that. And that's a big, uh, a big point we wanted to get to. Um, so Wisdom of the Knowing Ones, Manly P. Hall, Gnosticism, the Key to Esoteric Christianity, it's subtitled, is, uh, is a great way to get started uh, to understand Gnosticism. Um, of course, The Secret Teachings has a lot of information in there as well. Uh, Dr. Heller's books, H-O-E-L-L-E-R, um, the books of 
Uh, Elaine Pagel's book, which we talked about last week a little bit, is excellent start. Uh, Willis Barnstone's uh, edited a book called The Other Bible that has the Gnostic scriptures in it, the Nakamadi scriptures. Any of this stuff's great, great places to start. A lot of uh, Dr. Heller's lectures on YouTube are on Gnostic themes. He talks about everything under the sun, esoteric, but uh, he also has specifically on Gnosticism. Those are great places to start as well. Uh, so thank you, Chris, for uh, bringing up those great points this week. And thanks, everyone, for joining us. Uh, we're here every Sunday. Uh, also, check out uh, Chris and I's books. Chris's book is um, Spirit in the Sky. It's on Amazon. My book is If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate. And that's available on Amazon as well or at CosmicEye.org. Chris's website is ChrisSheridan.com. We're here every Sunday with a new episode. And thank you again for joining us. Go ahead and subscribe like rate us if you like us if you don't like us please don't say anything like your mom said if you don't have anything nice to say don't say it at all that's my <laughs> that's my advice Great. anyway thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in goodbye and god bless <laughs>